You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. So today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what is this idea of righteousness and specifically the breastplate of righteousness and how, we, how, how do we put on the breastplate of righteousness. And then finally, we're going to talk just quickly about how do we overcome like, especially in light of what Ephesians 6 talks about, if it's, a, if it's a, a piece of armor used to combat what the enemy tries to do to us, how does, it, how does God use this idea of righteousness in an overcoming way in our life? So first I want to talk about what, what is righteousness. And here's the issue and why righteousness is why it's so, so important. Because when we came to salvation, we had two conflicting truths. One is the depth of our sin. The magnitude of our sin that condemned us to death. The shame of our sin, the guilt of our sin, the stain of our sin. We talk about this. But then we are immediately confronted with the overwhelming gift of grace that calls us righteous. That calls us righteous. We see that gift given to us through Jesus Christ and perfected like we sang earlier at the cross. The cross settled the matter. Okay? But we have these two conflicting things. And even when we read carefully some of uh, Paul's letters, we see this, this dynamic where Paul will step back in to make a point and call himself things like a chief sinner. As he refers to himself this way. But yet, through the grace of Jesus, he has been reborn, renewed. He's been set free, saved all through Jesus. And then there's even another passage that Paul writes and he says, listen, the things that I desire to do, I do not do. But the things that I do not want to do, I do. Which is super confusing, like a Dr. Seuss story. But he goes and he says, oh, oh wretched man that I am. So what's, what's the understanding here? and Why is righteousness important? Because we live between this contention. We live between this contention. Now some of you go and you've heard things like, you're, you're not a sinner, and, and by no means when you come to Jesus Christ is that how God sees you any longer. But to understand the full magnitude of grace, you can never lose sight of the fact that you were rescued. That should have got an Amen. And so we live between this contention. And so it's important to understand what righteousness has given us. And what righteousness is. I want to read to you a passage in Romans 5, 1 and 2, and it says this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Here is what Paul here is saying. He's saying, listen, who, what have I been justified through? And this is the definition of righteousness. I've been justified through faith. What does that conclude? And we'll see here in just a little bit that the scripture goes into great detail explaining this, is that I haven't been justified by my actions, by my works, by my deeds, by my own personal goodness, but by faith. Faith in who? Jesus Christ. Not only have I been justified by this faith, but I've also gained access. So not only does the righteousness that is bestowed on me through Jesus Christ, 
begin to free me from my sin, but it also gives me access by which I now stand. Romans 5, 8 through 10. I love this passage. It says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And so what righteousness does is this, is it answers the question of our past. It answers the question of our past. And how does it do it? Through the lens of the love of Jesus Christ. And this is a powerful scripture that every one of us need to have highlighted and to know and to understand. To meditate on this wonderful, the depth of this love. In Romans 5 verse 8, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. If we need a definition for what love is, here it is. And why God is love. The scripture tells us this, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And why did he die for us? Because he had to answer the question of our past. And this is what righteousness tells us. Because grace speaks something greater. It says that we are forgiven from the debt of sin. That we are accepted. Meaning that we have been reconciled back to God through Jesus Christ and given the spirit of adoption. Romans 8 tells us. I'm giving you a lot of information, but make notes. It doesn't just say that we're forgiven and that we're accepted, but it also calls us worthy. Righteousness calls us worthy. Redeemed, that means to be redeemed, restored with a value. Now, this is important. Look, I, I, I mean, we can go deep, deep, deep into this. But this is just a, a, a restructuring of the original intent of God. That when God created Adam, when God created Eve, He created them with His value placed upon it. And the idea of the knowledge of relationship was not foreign until sin came into the world. And it distorted and destroyed the original intent of the purpose of our relationship with God. And what righteousness does is restores that original intent back to us. And so righteousness cannot simply say that our debt is forgiven. It must also say that we were redeemed, that we were created with a purpose. But it has to go further and it has to say that we are worthy also. All this through Jesus Christ. And when we allow this work to take place in our life, when the Holy Spirit makes us alive, when it goes past here to here, what happens is it begins to form a new identity inside of us. All right. I want to just talk just really quickly in line with this about what the breastplate of righteousness is, okay? Just a little bit deeper. Just make some notes here really quick, okay? So the breastplate of righteousness tells us the truth of who God says we are. And just write down Titus 3, 3 through 7. All right, you can go back and read that. It's a beautiful passage. 
It also says this, that it is our right to stand before God and to come into, our, into His presence. Now again, this only makes sense when you read the Bible and you understand, again, this trepidation that sin put in the hearts of men to access the presence of God. And that's why only one person, the high priest, could go into, in the Old Testament, into the very presence, the Holy of Holies. Right? And there was a certain ritual that he had to perform to go into there, to access the presence of God. And what does the Bible, what does the New Testament, what is the new covenant given to us? What do we celebrate when we come around the table every week? And it's this picture of the new covenant that Jesus Christ is the great, faithful, eternal high priest. And that through him, through the, we're going to talk about this word imputed righteousness or the given righteousness that we now have access to come into the very presence of God. Isn't it amazing that when we read the crucifixion story, what do we read? One, is one of the, the things that we read about is that the veil that separated the, the most holy place from the holy of holies was torn, right? From top to bottom. Why is that significant? Because no longer was there trepidation. No longer would sin separate man through Jesus Christ, from being able to come into the presence of the Father, the very presence of the Father. All right, that's what your righteousness says. It also, the breastplate of righteousness, also gives us justification to stand in the world. All right? And this is significant, you know, um, because in 1 John it tells us that if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart. And what that says is this, is that sometimes we deal with, and this is why righteousness becomes our identity, is that we deal with, uh, the, the lingering shame and stain of sin in our life. The Holy Spirit has to root that out. You know what's astonishing to me and, and just great grace is, is how, how, how infinitely short some of our doctrine of salvation is. Because the assumption is this, because we don't teach it right, is that if we make a decision to follow Jesus and we commit our lives fully to Him and we ask Him to forgive our sins and we believe in our, in our heart, faith, and we confess with our mouth, we will be saved. And that is absolute 100% truth. But the work of salvation has to go past the place of getting your sins removed into the place where it forms identity inside of you. Why? Because too many believers go into the world and they still see themselves as who they were and not what God says they are. And you can lift your hands and dance and do whatever you want in here. But if you go out there and you feel like you are unworthy, you are not fully wearing the breastplate of righteousness. You haven't fully received it. The Holy Spirit needs to do the work. You know, got to get a little deeper, all right? So it gives us the strength to stand in this world. It also empowers us to live the truth of God out in our life. 1 John 2, 29. If you know that He is righteous you know that everyone who does what is right is born of Him. Okay, so we have the power to live out righteousness. Alright, let's talk about really quickly how we put on the breastplate of righteousness. First, we have to understand this is the most critical piece. Okay, we have to really understand this and have this as revelation inside of us. You need to know what you believe here. You've got to know what you believe, church. <clears throat> so, so, highlight, mark, take notes. How do we receive it? And here is this word that we, I mentioned earlier, is that it is imputed to you. 
It is imputed to you. I want to explain this to you. So how do we know that 2 Corinthians 5.30 says this, God made him who had no sin, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here is where we get the idea or the principle of what it means or what imputed means. This is a big idea word, okay? Imputed is a big principle. It's not complicated. It's not complicated, but it has a massive effect in the principle and the idea of it in our life, in our spiritual walk, okay? And here's what it simply means, is to make an exchange. To make an exchange. However, this is a desperately unfair exchange. And this is what grace and how grace is defined. Some of us have defined grace as unmerited favor, but I think it's more properly defined in this context right here of imputed righteousness. It's because this exchange was deeply unfair. It wasn't that we just didn't bring anything to the table, but what we brought to the table was death. Death that had to be paid. Death that had to be satisfied. And what Jesus brought to the table was life that overcame our personal death. Jesus gave us His righteousness. This is the work of salvation. And we gave Him our sin. Which is the indebtedness in our life that we could not pay that doomed us to hell. Now there's a couple of profound takeaways about this imputed Righteousness that you need to understand. First is this. Is that this is the definition of love. And the distinction within Christianity. And it's beautiful. Friends. There is not another faith or religion that exists in the world. That applies righteousness the way that Jesus does. Every other religion or belief system says you must work to be able to earn the love or acceptance of the God. But Jesus says you do nothing but simply receive by faith, which is grace, that which you cannot do, which I can only do, I give to you in exchange for the indebtedness of your sin. It is the definition of love. Oh, man. Hey, when you get to heaven, that second to last song we sang, what was it called? Is Justin even here? He just left. What was it called, Justin? And why are you sitting in the back? All right, I love you. You can sit wherever you want. I don't even care. Your assigned seat is right here, Justin. Don't ever leave it. All right, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what song was it? Living Hope. When you get to heaven, you need to go home, you need to download that song, you need to sing it a hundred times this week. Why? Because when you get to heaven and God says, By wh why do you stand before me today? Just start singing my Living Hope. I'm serious. You look at the lyrics of this. You stand by Jesus Christ alone. Why? Because Jesus overcame. Why? Because it is the greatest act of love. Why? Because He took the place for me. I couldn't stand. My sin bound me to hell. It kept me in the grave. But Jesus defeated my sin and the grave. I can't stand here for any other reason. It is love. And it's the love of Jesus. It's 
to perfect love. All right? All right. This is exciting. I love it. Okay, very important. Next thing, next thing here. Okay, we're running out of time. Uh, we don't deserve it. <laughs> I think I made that really clear. Uh, nor did we earn it. All right, you didn't earn this salvation. You weren't like good on a good day. Caught you on a good day. You get grace. Okay, now listen, really important. Nor do you continue to earn it. There is a term here that some of you Bible nerds are going to love called sola gratia. All right. Now my brother, brother-in-law's ears just perked up. And that means this. By grace alone. Oh, I'm going to tell you something. You get a hold of that. I'm, I'm telling you, it will change you. But this is the picture of righteousness, okay? We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. No, nor can we continue to earn it. And this is truly by grace alone. But this righteousness is perfection, not of earthly standards. Not of our personal standards. But it's perfection in the sense that it transforms us. We move from being unloved to loved. It completes us. We move from being unworthy to worthy. It empowers us. We move from being haters of God to being able to do His will. So Hebrews 2.3 says, okay. So it's perfect in that sense. That it completely transforms us when we allow it to. When we say, Holy Spirit, make that alive inside of us. All right, so the second part of how we put the breastplate of righteousness on is this, and it's, it's equally as important, okay? It's through the practice of our righteousness or our lived out righteousness. Some of y'all should go, what? You just told us that works doesn't apply to anything. And you're right. It doesn't. But there's a couple of thoughts here that I want to give to you. And does this idea of practice righteousness oppose grace alone? Not at all. Not at all. Because what you do with your righteousness doesn't make you more righteous or more worthy or more loved. But what is the truth is this, is that the transformation of righteousness in us, when we have the full revelation of it, it will bear fruit. It will bear fruit. But it's not in our strength. And I know this seems a little complicated, but let's not let it be complicated. Because the things that we walk by faith in, in any principle that God has given us, we do not walk in our own strength, but we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Anything God has called you to, or spoken over you, or is asking you to walk in His freedom, you cannot do it. You're not smart enough, you're not strong enough. You're not good-looking enough. You're not enough. But this is grace. It's when we step aside and we say, God, your righteousness is pulling me into the fruit of righteousness, but I can't do it. Holy Spirit, will you help me? All right, let's keep going. All right, every spiritual principle is received by the Spirit, from the Spirit, to be manifest in a practical way. What do I mean? You can't, we talk about forgiveness. You can't forgive somebody just because I say forgive, because you ain't really going to forgive them. But if the Holy Spirit just you know, makes this alive in you, and you're like, I need to forgive because Christ forgave me, guess what you got to do? you got to practically live out forgiveness. 
You can't walk and shun somebody that you've forgiven. Faith, the same way. Oh, man. I mean, James really just threw a big fat wrench in that, didn't he? Oh, come on, people. Wake up. All right. <laughs> I, I, I'm getting nervous because I'm getting a deadline. The Luby's alarm clock is ringing. All right. Okay. Same thing. This is why the Bible says that we bear the fruit of the Spirit. Not the fruit of our works, not the fruit of our wisdom, but the fruit of the Spirit. We can't make peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control happen. It's a lot like growing anything else, no matter what you want to grow. You want to grow tomatoes, cucumbers, pineapples? It doesn't matter. Whatever you want to grow. Guess what? You don't make it grow. You said, yeah, I do. I water it every day. You didn't create the water. You didn't create the soil. You didn't even create the seed. You did the least amount of work in, in the whole project. <laughs> you put it in the ground and watched it. Or you at, pineapple? Right? It's the same thing with us. We have to live this out. So the purpose of lived out or practical righteousness is twofold. Number one, we've been called to bear the fruit of righteousness. Philippians 1, 9 through 11 says this. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and the depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. All right. But also, this is another key, and this is why we put on the breastplate of righteousness, we carry this with us, is because it also helps us to resist the enemy. When we are living out the truth of righteousness and the fruit of righteousness is being born in our life, we're actively resisting the devil. We are actively resisting the devil. Ephesians 4.26 gives us this understanding, and it's, it's very, to me, I really love this scripture because it's really the only way the enemy gets a foothold in our life. If you read the Bible, this is really it. The devil is not a menacing, he is menacing, but he's not an all-powerful figure that can just drop kick you at will. But in Ephesians 4.26, it says this, do not, oh, I'm sorry, in your anger, do not sin. In your anger, don't sin. Doesn't say not be angry. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's like, I can be mad, I just can't sin. All right. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. I, um, I had this situation just recently where I was, uh, I was uh, upset about the way something was going. And it was stupid. And, I, and God speaks to me when I'm stupid. And I'm thankful. I love Him so much. And, and I was getting upset because I was right. I was right to be angry. I really was. I know you guys are laughing because you think I'm silly. But I wasn't. I was right. I was right. My wife forgot something. It was totally her fault. And uh, <laughs> I pick on my family too much. But I get beat up when I get home, guys. So don't worry. Um, and I was right. I told her to bring something. She didn't bring it. And it was a problem. I was right. And I was a little frustrated. I'm like, I'm going to fix this because I'm right. And when a man's right, he's right. Right? Wrong. I answered before you could, ladies. And I was in an elevator, and God spoke to me. 
And when I say God speaks to me, it wasn't audible. It was in my spirit. And how do I know it was God? Because I was not thinking this way. And what he said to me lined up with his word. So it wasn't Andy and it wasn't the ghost in the elevator. There was no ghost. God said, you can be right or you can be righteous, Andy. In this situation, you can be right or you can be righteous. What do you want to do? I said, I'd like to negotiate both, God. Can we do that? <laughs> he said, negative, Ghost Rider. You can be. He didn't say any of that. None of that part happened. I made that up, okay? You know, forgive me. <laughs> I said, Lord, I'm sorry because if I believe what you say is true and I want the Holy Spirit to make righteousness alive and I want to carry the breastplate of righteousness, what I'm doing by choosing to be right in this situation is by giving a foot hold to the enemy. I'm allowing something to take place. But instead, what I want to do is I want to bear the fruit of righteousness. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take Galatians 5 and I'm going to let peace and patience and kindness and goodness. It don't matter. I'm going to let it go. Let it go. It don't matter no more. All right? So let's keep going, all right? Sometimes we have to resist the enemy, and this is what the breastplate of righteousness will do when we actively have the fruit of righteousness at work in us. Okay, so the last thing is this, and thank you guys. We're, we're, we're on a, a deadline, and we're almost there. Thank you all. i got to get my whiteboard out because the last thing that it does is this is where the mashup between uh, this idea of righteousness and the breastplate of righteousness come in, and Ephesians 6 comes in, and how we overcome And here's, here's what we see, is that the, the work of righteousness in our life to overcome the enemy, and why this is so important, because this illustration that Paul gives in Ephesians chapter 6 is very significant, and it's meant to bring out a mental picture that would have been familiar in Greek understanding or philosophy. And it's this, that the breastplate serves significance not just because of the vital organs that it covered, i.e. the heart, the, the, the kidneys, the liver, the lungs, you know, and, all, and all, then again, all of your intestines and your bowels and all that, which are highly significant, right, to your, your, your vitality, your life. But they also, there's also a metaphor within this that would have been understood again within Greek philosophy, and it's this, that the seat of your soul, as it would, were contained in two parts um, of your body. And the first part where your mind and your will existed were your heart. And the second place where your emotions and your feelings existed were your bowels. And so there is a little bit of a, a metaphor, an illustration that Paul is making here to help us understand how righteousness actually helps us to overcome and fights some of these battles. Because Paul, I believe, is bringing up an important truth on how both the enemy attempts to work in our life and how we overcome him. In 1 Corinthians, sorry, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, it says, "...the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world." But on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And Justin, you go ahead and come on up. Because I'm quite literally done right here. What this is, is a picture of an aquifer. 
What an aquifer is, for those of you that don't understand, and I'm no geologist or scientist, but this is just a beautiful illustration, is that some of you know exactly what this is because I know some of you have dug wells in your backyard and you found an aquifer. You found a pool of water that exists beyond the, the earth, the first layer of earth there where you have to dig down into the earth to get to this, this reservoir of water that's typically fresh water that comes in through rainfall. And if you live in the right geographical area of the world, it comes in through snow and it saturates through that ground. But this is a beautiful picture of exactly what Paul is talking about here. Because when you come into situations like this on Sunday, or you're in a small group, or you're in a personal time with the Lord, you're listening to worship or whatever, the revelation of God's love is coming through. But a lot of times, it has to filter through this first little layer of your life, which would be your mind, your will, your feelings, your emotions. But the problem is this, is that you might understand this and get an an impact from this. And it's coming through here. It's seeping through here. But it's picking up these little things. And it's affecting the understanding of your righteousness. And how do you know that? Because what comes back up through the earth and attempts to grow can be barren, can be fruitless, can be dead. But it's not until... We allow the Holy Spirit to break through this area of our life and heal us. That the righteousness of God and the understanding of His love can begin to flow back up and spring forth into life. And what the Holy Spirit does and how He heals us is this. Is He destroys this area of our life that does not line up. And this is what 2 Corinthians 10 4 and 5 tells us, taking every thought captive into the obedience of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. When these things don't line up with this, God has to do something powerful. And this is what it means to break strongholds. Because if the enemy can get us to to filter both the love of God and the fruit from which grows out of us, Through these things, he is still winning. But what righteousness does is it breaks through in this area and causes a spring of living water to come up through us. Where our responses are not measured through the filter of our mind, will, and emotions, but it is filtered through the revelation of the righteousness of God in you. Do you see that? Hey, there is nothing wrong with your mind. There is nothing wrong with your will, your feelings, or your emotions. None of those things are bad. God is not asking you to be a robot. He's not asking you not to feel. He's not. He gave you those things. But those things have to be affected by the truth of righteousness in you. They cannot be affected by the experiences, by the lies, by the hurts. By the addictions, they cannot. When this gets distorted, because this is unhealthy, what springs out of you is death.
And the only way for that to be fixed is for God to break through that, to heal that, to cleanse that. This is love, guys. This is love. See, one of the lies that the enemy tells us when we talk about this, and, I, and I've experienced in my own life, oh boy, have I experienced in my life, some of you um, have experienced, some of you are feeling this right now. As the enemy tries to get you to believe that anytime this conversation comes up, you're shameful. Boy, you're shameful. Shame, 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 shame. Only bad people have this issue. All right, you guys are over time, but here we go. Part of what happened in the Genesis 3 account is this, and why the enemy worked so hard to have Eve bite from that apple or piece of fruit, and Adam did too. It wasn't Eve's fault. It was man's fault as a human race. It's our flesh. Because part of this is that we saw good and evil. We saw good and evil. We saw good and evil. But not to be cheesy, but you can't handle the truth of good and evil apart from righteousness. You can't live under the stain of your sin apart from righteousness. You can't live under the shame and the guilt and the weight of your sin apart from righteousness. And every time Paul writes and he references himself in the past tense, he is not beating himself up. He's not flogging himself and whipping himself and shaming himself. He is saying the only way I can talk about being a murderer of Christians, the only way I can talk about being a persecutor of the faith, the only way I can talk about being a God-hater is this, is that Jesus Christ completely broke that in my life. And even though that's who I was, that is no longer who I am today because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So this is what I want to declare over every person right now in the name of Jesus. That if the enemy is lying to you because of shame, and he is trying to tell you that you are unworthy or dirty, or wrong, or bad for feeling this way. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke that, and I bind that, and I command that to be silent now, in Jesus' name. Now hear the goodness of the grace of Jesus Christ. It's not your fault. You're not bad. You're not unworthy. None of us deserve it, but it is love that God brought to us and it is free and it is good and it is given not based on what you've done or what you think but based on what he says and what he has done amen all right let's pray oh let's just bow our heads let's just let's just make a time before the lord here hallelujah we're just going to believe the holy spirit to do a powerful work right where you are okay today i'm not again we're hitting some we're hitting some good veins right here of uh, what God wants to do. And I know there are some people here that, that need this. They need to take and say, God, I need a real revelation of righteousness. Not based on my works, but based on sola gratia, by grace alone. Hallelujah. Oh, man, Lord, I love you. Wow. You're so good. Oh, Andy Sink did not deserve anything. Boy, I thought I was good. I grew up in church. 
I did the right things. I said the right things. I said the right words. But I was empty. Oh, I was so empty. You can't be a good Christian in your flesh. And if you think following rules makes you worthy of righteousness, you're dead wrong. Oh, you're dead wrong. The Bible says there is none that are righteous. No, not one. Oh, except for Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Okay, so here's what I want to do. As your eyes are closed, I want you right now. Again, I'm, nobody's coming to the front, but this is you. There's an altar. There's a sacred space right where you are. If you are dealing with the understanding of righteousness, and you say, Holy Spirit, I need this to be alive inside of me. I need to understand the grace that you have given me through Jesus Christ, and this needs to become who I am. And so these things that I've been dealing with, in my, maybe in my mind or my will, my feelings, my emotions, from experiences, from hurts, from issues and all that, they are filtering how I perceive your love and how I live out the fruit of righteousness, that identity in my life. And I need you to fix that. I need you to heal that. I need you to do the work. I need you to dig a well, a deep well within me. If that's you this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, just lift your hands up. I'm not even going to look. Just lift your hands up and then put them down. Okay, okay. All right, set them down. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus, right now, again, I speak the truth, Holy Spirit, of what you have declared through Jesus Christ, our righteousness over every person. Now, where the lies of the enemy are coming up and popping up, we take every one of those lies and we put it up against the cross of Jesus Christ. And we acknowledge that those lies fall short that they cannot stand against the revelation of the love of Jesus Christ that has been shown at the cross. And we command those things to just disappear, to fall, to be destroyed, to lose their authority right now in the name of Jesus. Now, Holy Spirit, I ask where there have been wounds or experiences that have been experienced, where the enemy has attempted to build a stronghold, that Holy Spirit, you come in and you bring your healing. You bring your healing. And if that's you, you just simply receive that. Just say, thank you. Holy Spirit, for healing me in this area right now. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I am no longer bound to this. This will no longer define the love that you have for me, Father. The righteousness and the identity that you've given me through Jesus Christ. This lie will no longer work in my life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you fill every heart, every mind... Lord, the seat of our spirit with the revelation of your grace that leads us to the truth of righteousness. We didn't deserve it. We did not earn it. And we cannot earn it. But it is the full measure of your love, Father, that you have given us. That causes us to be worthy in your sight. And we thank you. We receive that. We receive that. We receive that. It's the full measure of your grace and the righteousness that you have put upon us, by which we are called sons and daughters, by which we come into the very presence, your presence, Lord, boldly, boldly, boldly. And I thank you, Father. I thank you, Father. I thank you, Father. We just receive that revelation and we drink from that deep well of your love. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. 
I pray, Lord, that the fruit of righteousness will begin to spring forth in our lives. Lord, even there's some people that might have even identified with what I said, Lord, about being right and being righteous. God, and we just repent. I thank you for first, first John 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from every bit of unrighteousness. God, you don't ever turn your love away from us. You don't ever repeal it, not even in our sin. But God, there's times that our acts impair what we believe to be true about your righteousness. And so we just confess this to you, God. And we thank you just for a restored righteousness in our life. The understanding of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Why don't you stand to your feet? Thank you, guys. Luby's texted me and they said they're not starting without you. Okay, so don't worry. My kid said, stop making jokes about Luby's. And I said, I'm sponsored. And so <laughs> you guys need to laugh a little bit, okay? We can absolutely have fun and see the power of God in church every Sunday, okay? So let me just declare God's grace over you. Father, I thank you for your blessing, your goodness, and your mercy, and your grace continuing the overwhelming overwhelmingly surrounding every person here in Jesus' name. Amen.